First Thessalonians chapter 5, Sin and Judgment. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, Peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. First and Second Thessalonians, as we have said already, contain elements of the second coming of Christ and how to prepare for that second coming. If we believe in the true purpose of the first coming of Christ, we will prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ. We are dead in trespasses and sins, therefore we need Christ to die and rise again on our behalf. But he has to die and rise again on our behalf because the wrath of God was on us, but we shall be saved from the wrath of God to come. It will come on the rest who do not believe in the true gospel, but not on us. So we, in anticipation of the day of judgment, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the day of judgment, we are preparing ourselves by being sanctified, by progressing in holiness, day by day, producing more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is the purpose of these two letters. As we saw last time in chapter 4, the first part of it dealt with some exhortations on sanctification and holiness, and then verses 13 to 18 dealt with the return of Christ. He continues with the thought on the return of Christ in chapter 5, 1 to 11, that is from 4.13 to 5.11, deals with the return of Christ. And then again, exhortations on righteousness, holiness, practicing the truth in the rest of the chapter, verses 12 to 28. Now, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He tells them that there is no need for anything to be written to them. Why so? It's similar to verse 9 of chapter 4. 
Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We are taught by God to love one another, therefore, we don't need somebody to tell us that. It should not be the case, because internally, by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the one who gave us life and who taught us secretly the things of the Father. John 6, 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. That's in chapter 4, verse 9. But he says something similarly in chapter 5, verse 1. How is it? Why is it that he says we don't need a teacher? Because also the Holy Spirit has taught us to prepare for the second coming of Christ and the day of judgment. So in reference to the return of Christ, if we believe in his first coming, whatever was said about his first coming, by definition, if it says first coming, if we are preaching first coming, why did he come into the world? He came into the world to prepare the world for his second coming and the day of judgment and the resurrection of the dead and eternity. So in that sense, if we truly were taught the gospel, we don't really need somebody to tell us again. We only need it because of the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, because the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly seeks to undermine what we know to be true in our inner man, because of the work of God in the inner man. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly seeking to undermine what we know to be true. So, this, he not only says to the Thessalonians, here about the return of Christ and the epics to come. He's telling them in verses 2 to 11 that they should be ready. That they should be ready. Verse 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. They know full well it will come like a thief in the night. Now, when he says the day of the Lord, he's talking about the return of Christ. This is what he has said earlier in 4.15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. In chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. As well, 2.19. 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. 2.19 and 20. 1 verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And lastly, in 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. That day will come just like a thief in the night. When a thief comes in the night, there are two categories of people. Some are prepared and some are unprepared. When a thief comes, if we are asleep, we are unprepared. If we are awake, we can hear, we can see, we can tell something is amiss, we hear a sound, we hear something fall over, we hear some rumbling, we hear dogs barking, we hear something if we are awake and aware. So either we are awake when the thief comes or we are asleep. What does he mean by that? Just like a thief in the night. To whom will this coming be a shock? Be a surprise. Who will be shattered when it happens? Who will be consumed by the thief 
and his works. Verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. As the birth pangs upon a woman come suddenly, so everyone's going to think peace and safety. All is well. There are many things to enjoy, many pleasures to experience in life. We're going to live a long life. We're going to have health. We're going to have wealth. Everything will be swell. This is the way people think. Peace and safety. They have thought this way over the years in many nations, all generations. But just like the flood of Noah came suddenly, this day will also come suddenly, it says. And when it comes, they shall not escape. Who are the ones who will not escape? The ones who are saying and the ones who believe that everything is peace and safety. Everything is going well and will continue to go well. Even improve. Such as post-millennialism teaches. Everything's going to get better. All will be fine. The world will become Christianized and then Jesus returns. This is the opposite here. The world is getting more evil and people delude themselves by saying peace and safety when there is no peace and safety in terms of preparation for the return of Christ. Verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. We said that there were two groups of people, those who are awake, those who are asleep. Those who are asleep are those also said to be in darkness. They live a dark life. They live a dirty life. They live a life of sin and debauchery. That's how they live. But the sons of day, verse 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. The other group, the dark group and the group of light or day. There's darkness or there's daytime. There's only these two. Those who are living in sin, those who don't believe in Christ, those who don't believe in the return of Christ, the day of judgment, heaven, hell, these people who live in sin, who don't want sanctification, who don't want holiness, who do not want to obey the Lord, to please the Lord, love the Lord truly, fear Him in preparation for His return, to them it will come like a thief, but not to us. The sons of light, sons of day, will not be surprised when the Lord Jesus returns. Only those who are sons of night, sons of darkness, they will be surprised. It will happen to them suddenly, but not to us suddenly, because we are in anticipation. We are expecting it to happen, and we are expecting it by proving it by the way we live. (coughs) Verse 6, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. When he says sleep, he means spiritually sleep. He's talking about closing your eyes, sleeping, being immune, insensitive. You don't even hear, you don't even see the things of God. We shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be sleepy toward God. But we should always be alert and sober. Alert and sober. Alert, don't be asleep. And sober, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't be intoxicated by your own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. Don't let that overtake you and consume you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 Verse 7 For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Drunkenness is just one example of sin, which typically happens at night. 
in the evening time, at night time, that is the typical time to get drunk, to practice sins, sins of indulgence, sins of dissipation, sins that are without self-control. That's the usual time. Because most people, usually they want to go to work, earn some money, so that they can spend it on the liquor, on the beer, on the wine, to consume it more than they should, and get drunk. But that's not what we should be doing. When we are earning, when we are working in the daytime, we are doing it because with food and covering with these we shall be content. First Timothy 6.10 We are doing it because of 1 Timothy 5.8 He who does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the reason why we are awake in the daytime. We're not preparing just to indulge every night in sin, but the people of the world are. So that those in the church should not be doing that. That's the purpose. Who are the recipients but the Thessalonians? The Thessalonians need to know that there is a clear demarcation between sons of light and sons of darkness, sons of day and sons of night. We have to know that. We have to practice it that way. Verse 8, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are of the day, so soberness is required of us. Sobriety is required of us. We cannot be intoxicated by the things of the world. Our minds must be engaged. We must love the Lord with all our mind, as it says in Scripture, Mark 12, 28 to 34. But not, not only that, but he says it in terms of warfare. The aspect of the Christian life that is often bitter to people is this analogy of warfare. People have a distaste for that. Of course, we don't normally, the average sane civil, civil man does not like warfare and conflict and fight, fighting, especially when it's bloody. No one likes that. But when we think about the spiritual life, that is embedded in being a Christian. We are to be good soldiers of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 7. We are supposed to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. And here too, he says we're supposed to have the breastplate of faith and love. So faith and love should be our guard, should be protecting us against the onslaught of the evil one and his emissaries. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We must protect our body. We must protect our head. And how are we protected? By the hope of salvation. Hope will help us to endure. Hope will help us to look forward in anticipation to what Christ has provided. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4. And love, we are to love one another and love God. As he already said, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1, 5. Verse... 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God hasn't destined us for what? For wrath. What wrath does he mean here? Does he mean the wrath of earthly tribulation or the great tribulation on the earth at some point in the future? Is that the wrath he means in verse 9? Or does he mean the ultimate, eternal wrath of God? 
Which wrath does he mean? Is he speaking of some event on the earth or series of events on the earth, whether now or future? Or is he talking about the wrath of God on the day of judgment? He's talking about the wrath of God on the day of judgment. We know firstly from the very verse, the rest of the sentence, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right there he says it. He's saying the opposite. We are not destined for wrath. We are destined for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, only through Him. There he says it very, very clearly. He also says it that way in 1 verse 10, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. 1, 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is related to our salvation. Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Is this wrath of God in Romans 1.18 a wrath that deals with the tribulational period? No. Day-to-day circumstances? No. It's dealing with His eternal wrath against the unrepentant wicked. Turn also to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 to 11, Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It tells us very clearly, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In context, in Romans 5, he has not even broached the subject of the tribulational period or the great tribulation, anything like that. He's talking about whether we are saved and whether when we are judged, we are going to experience his wrath or not. If we are saved in Christ, then there is no eternal wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 Why is it through our Lord Jesus Christ? It says, Who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Why is it only through Christ? Because He died for us. No one else. He's the one who died and rose again on our behalf. 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 4.14 He is the one who died, and then He is the one for whom we are waiting. Then he tells us whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What does he mean here, awake or asleep? Already he's used this analogy from verses 1 and following. But at this point, what does he mean by whether we, believers, are awake or asleep? He's talking about being awake 
that is living in the world now, or asleep, meaning dead. Just like he said in 4.13. He says in 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest, who have no hope. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, the sleep he means in verse 10, that is, for the elect, the believers, whether we are alive in the world or we pass away and we are asleep, that is, dead, and we are with him after our death, whether we're alive, we'll be with him when he returns, and if we are dead, we would be with him and then accompany him when he returns to receive the rest of us. That's his meaning there, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Remember, in Daniel 12, 2, we saw that this word asleep, in reference to the resurrection of the dead, has to do with those who are already dead. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Daniel 12, 2. And also Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Stephen, when he was stoned to death, it says that he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And in chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, Acts 8, 1 to 4, it says that the disciples buried him, making loud lamentation over him. So he actually died and was buried. That's the sense in which Stephen slept. If we're always with the Lord, whether in this world, whether he returns, or whether we die, we will be with him. This is our encouragement. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. The great hope we have is that we are right now united to Christ. And when we pass away, when we die, when we are asleep, we will be with Christ. Whether we are alive or dead, Christ is always with us. The world doesn't have this hope, but we do. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 4.18 says. We've come now to verses 12 to 28. And we must say this again, since it is uh, a pernicious and persistent heresy to say the Bible does not have a list of do's and don'ts. The Bible does not have a list of do's and don'ts. I submit to you that in verses 12 to 28, it is full of do's and don'ts. For those who are already in Christ by His grace, and those who have His grace to be able to live this way. It's not a human work. It is works, like James says, faith without works is dead. James 2.14 to 26. It is works, good works, like Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, for we were prepared, he prepared us beforehand in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Those good works are because of the grace of God, powerful grace of God working through us. So if that grace is working through us, what does it do? What does it produce? What is its fruit? Verses 12 to 28. Explain. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. A parallel to this is found in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7. 
Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 13.17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And First Timothy, First Timothy 5, 17 and 18, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Verse 14, now generally, And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. To admonish, to warn, Those must take place, warnings must take place to the unruly. To be unruly, not walking according to the rules. Well, what rules? The rules of Scripture. The rules of the New Testament. The rules that he is presenting here in this list of do's and don'ts. They must be warned if they are deviating from the straight path of Scripture. If they are astray from the highway of holiness, then they must be admonished. That was Isaiah 35, 8. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. The faint-hearted and help the weak. Hebrews 12, 12. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. How is it that we encourage and help the faint-hearted and the weak? By the Word of God. It is the Word of God We don't have anything else. If we're going to encourage them not to be faint-hearted, but to be robust and strong in heart, if we're going to help them to be strong in the faith, what else do we have but the Word of God? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what we have. We have the word to help them. Be patient with all. 14. Be patient with all. When he says this, it's not only those in the church, but those outside the church. They all need patience. Love will be patient. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 4 Love is patient. And it is also a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-23, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
But a question arises because also love, grace, kindness, patience, these virtues are often distorted. Shall we ask the question, is God eternally patient with everyone? Is God eternally patient with everyone? Is God unconditionally patient with everyone? Is God spiritually patient with everyone? Was he patient with Adam and Eve? How many sins did he allow them to commit before death came upon them? Meaning, their alienation from God and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. How many sins did it take? One sin. But does that mean God was impatient toward Adam and Eve? Should he have indulged them? Given them ten chances? A second chance? God is a God of second chances, people say. Did he give Adam and Eve a second chance in the Garden of Eden? No. What about those who persist in sin? This is the Apostle Paul saying, be patient with all, correct? But look at 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In the local church context, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. 6 to 15. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The admonition to one such man should be as a brother, not an enemy, pleading with him, appealing to him to repent of his sins. And even in Titus, Titus chapter 3, 10 and 11, Titus 3.10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Acts 18.6, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he said, your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. Acts 18.6, that is to the unbelievers. There is patience that must be practiced, but not in contradiction to Holy Scripture. Love should be practiced, but not in the way that men invent. Kindness should be practiced, but not the way that men fabricate. Patience should be practiced according to Scripture, not according to the wisdom of men. So patience to a point depending on the situation, depending on the occasion. Verse 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all. We don't repay evil for evil. That is, if someone does evil, not in perception, 
not in our own estimation, but God's estimation. If someone does evil against us, we should not retaliate and do evil against that one. It says in Romans 14, or Romans 12, 14. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 16, 5.16, he says, Rejoice always. Though it may be difficult in the midst of hardships, afflictions, persecutions, slanders, though it may be difficult, he says, Rejoice always. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Constantly, whenever we experience the troubles of life, we have to rejoice and think about what God has done for us, what His promises are for us, so that our rejoicing in hope sustains us. It helps us to persevere. Romans 15 and verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray without ceasing. Our minds should either be Receiving from the Lord's word and or our minds should be praying to the Lord. It's both intake and outflow. Intake is the word of God. Outflow is our prayers without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18 Pray at all times in the spirit. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit. Luke 18.1, 18.1 in Luke. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Phone one connected. Whatever undermines our intake and outflow, the Word of God and prayers, we have to consider what's going on, and see if we can eliminate whatever is preventing us from receiving the Word of God and then praying to the Lord based on what we know in His Word and the circumstances of life. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Everything that happens in life Everything that happens, in one way or another, we ought to thank the Lord. Give thanks. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You may say, should we have joy and thankfulness when we encounter various trials? Yes. James 1, 2-4. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Ingratitude is an evil attitude. Verse 
toward God and toward one another. Ingratitude is an evil attitude. We should always be giving thanks, even for the little things of life. Whether it's the things we see in nature, the the little things that people do for us, whatever enjoyments we have, whatever God has done for us in Christ, whatever we have, we ought to be giving thanks. This is God's will. If we are rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks, these will sustain us no matter what happens to us. 19 to 21, the Word of God. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. The Holy Spirit should not be quenched. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, what did Ananias and Sapphira do? It says they lied to God. It also says when they lied to God, they lied to the Holy Spirit. When we practice sin, we are quenching, we are grieving, we are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So we ought not to be quenching the Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in us. Instead, we ought to glorify God in our body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Particularly by the Word of God. When the Word of God is announced to us, when it is preached to us, in this example specifically, he's talking about prophetic utterances. When there is a prophetic utterance, and whether he's talking about a written prophetic utterance or a verbal prophetic utterance, whenever a true utterance of God is announced to us, we ought not to despise it. We ought to examine it carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Do not despise it. How is it that people despise the word of the Lord? It's like King Ahab, wicked Ahab, against Micaiah, the true prophet of the Lord. Micaiah would preach the truth to him, which inevitably brought his sins to the surface. And Ahab says, there is yet one man, Micaiah, son of Imlah, but I hate him because he always speaks evil of me and not good. 1 Kings 22, verse 8. He always speaks evil of me, not good. Well, that's because you keep sinning and it's so blatant and obvious it needs to be called to account. That's why only evil is on my lips. That is, if you don't repent, there's judgment. That's the reason. I'm not saying grace, 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 love all the time because you need to hear about the justice of God. And you're calling that evil when you're evil, not the holy prophet. The same in Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, verses 9 to 11. Isaiah 30, verse 9. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, You must not see visions, and to the prophets, You must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, the same in our day. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. No mythology, no illusions, no pleasantries, that are vain and vacuous. The truth. That's what we must embrace, never despise. 
We ought to, though, examine. It's not as though we disengage the mind. It's not as though we're supposed to be gullible. We're not supposed to be simpletons. We are supposed to examine. Like he says, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. 2 2. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. He commends them for putting to the test those who claim apostleship. 5.22 of 1 Thessalonians 22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. Every form or every kind or every sort of evil. Not just some evil, not just the big sins, but the big and the little sins. Not just the mega sins, but also the minor sins. Every sin. He says every form of evil whether it's a little evil or a lot evil, we ought to get rid of every form of it, every kind of it, not tolerate it at all. Yes, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. 1 Corinthians 9:27. I buffet my body, 1 Corinthians 9.27 I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest after preaching to others, I possibly might be disqualified. Every form of evil. This is the rest of the Christian life. This is essentially, verse 22 is essentially our call to sanctification as he's been preaching to us. But we do have assurances, assurances that we will make it, we will endure in our Christian life. Verses 23 to 24. First, a prayer, a wish, a desire, a prayer in verse 23, and the assurance in verse 24. The prayer, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Every form of evil, now he says, that God will indeed accomplish this because he will sanctify you entirely. The inner man and the outer man, spirit, soul, body, inner man, and outer man, the unseen man, and the visible man. He will preserve us complete. He will present us without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why so? Because the grace that justified us by faith in Christ is the grace that is sanctifying us in Christ to make us conform to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. We are being conformed and will be fully conformed to the image of Christ so that when He comes, He will be glad to receive us and will say to us, Well done, good and faithful slave. Matthew 25, 31. 1 John 3, 2-3. 1 John 3, verse 2 to 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. But then we have this assurance in verse 24 that the one who called us, this is effectually called, 
the one who effectually called us is the one who will finally call us. It will happen from beginning to end. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident, Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the effectual, internal, miraculous, supernatural call of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end, from justification to glorification. It is not the external call, the call of the Word of God, which is preached to many people and only some of the many actually do believe it. This is one verse of many verses that speak of the internal call that will come to fruition. Therefore, there is no loss of salvation. This is one of many verses that preaches against free will and loss of salvation. Verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. Prayers for one another. Intercessory Prayers. When we pray for one another, intercessory prayers. We saw in Hebrews 13, 8, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. When we are outwardly focused, one way that we show love of the brethren is praying for the brethren. 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. When we meet together, when we meet together, there should be greetings and these kinds of tender greetings, as he says here. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. A holy kiss and greetings, when they are done, how can, unless one is quite perverse in heart, how can one do so without genuinely believing in what he's saying and doing. This is why the betrayal of Judas Iscariot is very, 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 very detestable, very, very base, that he had such a seared conscience that he was able to kiss Christ. And that would not have been the first time he kissed him. Whenever they met each other, they would have kissed each other with the holy kiss that for so long and so many times he kissed our Lord and Savior, and yet he never really believed in his words, peace to you, nor his holy kiss. That should never be true of us. It should always be genuine, whatever we do, and it ought to happen with one another. Verse 27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Remember, we said from the beginning that this adjuration he places the Thessalonians under has to do with an oath and a vow to take very seriously that the apostle is actually knowledgeable, he's aware, he is uh, conscious of the fact that he is writing Scripture. That's why he wants them to read it and to spread this letter to other churches. 4.14 says, This we say to you by the word of the Lord. 4.2 says, You know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then even the spoken word in 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The letters of Paul, every word, not just most, not just the convenient ones, not just all except the ones that call out our own sins, every word was inspired by the Holy Spirit and should be believed.
every word of the apostle. No one should ever presume to undermine the apostle Paul. Whoever undermines the apostle Paul undermines Christ. Galatians 1, 11 to 17. Acts chapter 9. He undermines Christ. Let's be faithful to read, but also believe. Remember it said in 2.13, it performs its work in you who believe. We cannot sit idly. We cannot sit distracted, skeptical, whenever we hear the Word of God. We must be attentive because if we are attentive, eagerly hearing, only then are we believing, able to believe. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. True grace. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. First Peter 5.12 Not cheap grace, true grace. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.